Wow, so much tonight. Uh, we've been studying the voice of God and hearing the voice of God, turning on our phones. Last week we talked about how to verify and authenticate God's voice. And uh, where we kind of arrived tonight is actually understanding that God doesn't speak for fun, that he actually speaks for purpose. He actually has promise for us in that uh, God is speaking to us about promises that so many of us have no idea they even exist. And we have no idea that they even exist. How can we expect to walk in the fullness and the promise and the fulfillment of them? And so tonight, what I want to do is I want to look at what the Bible says about how we can recognize and acknowledge and participate in the promises of God. And um, I believe for generations, before the earth was even formed, that God had established promises that were purposed exactly for you. And that he's guiding you into these grand promises by kind of bringing you into many promises, the voice of God in your life right now is about drawing into small acts of, of promise and small acts of breakthrough, but on the larger scale, if you zoom back out, you actually find the story of God as a much bigger uh, picture of a much bigger promise that he's fulfilling. And so he leads you into the grander promises by fulfilling his many promises. And what I want to do is zoom us out and acknowledge what he's leading all of us in on a grand level. And so the question is, what are the promises for me in the Bible? Let me take you back to, uh, I'm going to give you three verses in Genesis and Galatians and Ephesians. The first one is in Genesis 17. This is probably the most significant promise in all the Bible. This is 17, verse 1 through 7. It says, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations." God said that no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Verse 6, hear the promises. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. It's pretty intense. Imagine waking up the next morning and be like, so what did you do last night? <laughs> God gave me a whole bunch of promises. And he declares his promises in grand detail. He declares the covenant of those promises are for Abraham and his descendants. He declares that his covenant will survive generations after generations forever. Now Galatians, Paul, he's like one of the sharpest guys in the Bible, but Paul kind of like me, he's got like ADD. He kind of like leads you someplace and then he like, digresses momentarily, picks it back up, keeps going, digresses. Have you ever like, heard someone like that that talks, that talk about like, their work day? Like, yeah, I went to work, which is downtown on the corner of L Street and 5th. And, and while I was at work, I was there and, and uh, there's Joey. And Joey comes from California and he's really cool. You know, you know like people like that? And like, get to the story already. Well, Paul kind of does this in Galatians. And it's really hard to kind of keep track of like, what are you saying in between these like really deep theological sidetracks? So... What I did is I pulled them together to make sense of about um, 20 some odd verses and I condensed them to like keep the same thought he was going for. And it, it totally reveals this, this passage in a whole different way. So um, I won't even tell you what the reference is because it's like 8, 9, 16, 26, and 29. But just listen. 
So keep in mind Abraham, right? And the promises God gave him, and this is verse 8, it says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, that all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to his seeds, plural, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, when we run that together, we can come to these couple conclusions. It's, it's what? Is that if you are in Christ, you've actually changed your lineage into line with Abraham. Isn't it weird that Jesus, you know, talks about being born again? It's like, why couldn't you just like say cocooned, transformed, you know, changed, improved? You could do all these different things. Why? Is it hit me is that when you are born again, it changes your entire genealogy. And the significance of becoming part of the lineage of Abraham does something glorious. It makes us partakers of the promises of Abraham. It says that the promises of Abraham are to you and your seed and your descendants. And when we were born again in Christ, it moves us into alignment with all those promises that God gave Abraham. It says, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God was so intentional about that. So what were the promises again, right? Because they're like, wait, wait, those are for me now? It's I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you, I will make nations of you. All nations will be blessed through you. Kings will come forth from you. Your relationship with God will impact generations after you and your descendants. Paul describes the significance of the life we live here and it parallels with Abraham's promises. This is the last passage here. It's Ephesians 2, 4. It says, But God, rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Again, that's one of those pair tangents. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, everyone say so that. When you see so that, it basically means like all the other stuff Bundle it, and what is that for? That in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. What does this mean? It means the life that you live right now is impacting generations to come. The decisions you make right now in this present time are creating this ripple effect in ages to come. You are purposed here to kick glorious butts so that other generations would kick glorious butts. You are forging a path. You are diving into the soil and you are creating a trench for other seeds to grow and prosper. What this means is that your life now is actually making the case for someone else to receive Christ later. What you're doing and being here, receiving in worship and in your life, the decisions you are making actually is the investment for all the unborn, all the people in Christ that are yet to be here. How many know that Jesus didn't come back for like a rescue mission? He's not coming back to like save us all. No, he's, he's coming back in glory and he's coming back victorious. I don't believe that we're going to see him in our lifetime. Why? Because I believe that there's so much more for us to do. The, the, 
the way that we live now, as it changes generations, I believe that Jesus is waiting for the maximum amount of creation to receive him. And what you do tonight, what you do in this time of your life is actually growing seeds of salvation in ages to come. It's kind of like, we don't see how our lives are that way, but you know something that's funny about all like really valuable pieces of art? Is that all of the artists, they were dead before their art became valuable. They, I mean, you couldn't give their art away, you know, when they were alive. But once they're gone, all of a sudden, people are paying tens of millions of dollars from it. And we get it that the scripture says we go from glory to glory. The kingdom is advancing. Amen? The kingdom is not shrinking back. And so the advances you make in your personal life are actually expanding the kingdom. So back to these promises. So let me go back through the ones for Abraham and let us put him in a context in which we can understand. The first one was this. It was that I will make you exceedingly fruitful. What does that mean? It means that you are meant to thrive. You are meant to kick glorious butts. I would love to use a different word there, but I don't want to get in trouble. You are meant to kick donkey. You know what I'm saying? You are meant to go out there and do amazing things. In every area of your life, not just, oh, I'm really good at church attendance. No, you're supposed to thrive in your spiritual life. You're supposed to thrive in your relationships. You're supposed to thrive in all situations, your emotional life, your school life, your finances, your relationship with your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your dog, your kids, all the people. You are purposed to be kicking butt. In every area, God has purposed for you to thrive. It says that you will be exceedingly fruitful. Exceedingly. Meaning that just not, not okay, not just kind of average, but exceedingly. So have fruit in your life. Don't settle for anything that's just like, okay. I mean, when I talk to my daughter, I'm like, I hope you become really average, you know? Like, I want my ceiling, the greatest pinnacle of my life, to actually be the floor of my future children. And that's how we need to live. That word was given to me last night, and I'm going to claim that. But dare to be the best in the world at something. That's one of the questions I love to ask you is like, what are you better at than anybody else in the world? And there's this desire to live a self-contained, practical, you know, safe life. And I just think that God is less honored than we think about all the decisions we make to make our life safe. If your life and your decisions are echoing in eternity, it might as well be something for doing something awesome. Because if you plant seeds of mediocrity, you're going to have generations of mediocrity behind you. Dare to take big risks and have big rewards. You will not become exceedingly fruitful doing the same things you've always done. The definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results. If you don't feel like you're kicking butt in your life in all areas, you need to change something up and do something different. But people have like this false humility. They think that they feel really bad and awkward that God doesn't want to make them successful. It actually feels prideful and sinful if, if I dare say God wants me to be successful. And I think that most people would say that God really wants them to live a good life but not a great life because a great life sounds really prideful. I want you guys to live great lives. I want you guys to, to go out and I want you to feel like you are living at the pinnacle, to be on the limit of the speed you can go and to take the risks that you never thought you could. And some people say that, that um, they'll deduce this, this principle just to make a lot of money. That God wants you to be wealthy and have escalades. Remember that? <laughs> and pools and spinners on your rims and all that stuff. 
And I don't believe that. You know why? Because it says in heaven that the roads are paved with gold. We are storing up in this earth pavement in the kingdom. (laughs) If the streets are of gold in heaven and we're storing up money here, what are we going to do with all that? Because he's like, it's asphalt in my kingdom. And money's not a bad thing. I'm not trying to say that either, but I'm just trying to say that God has designed us to be thriving in all areas. The second thing is it says in the promises of Abraham, which is our promises, is that I will make nations of you. I will make nations of you. Translation for us is that you are meant to change the world. How many know it's really hard to change the world from Rancho Cordova if you stay there and never leave? <laughs> you know, like, if you're going to change the world, you might as well buy a plane ticket to somewhere else in the world. You can certainly impact the world from here. I'm not trying to say that, but Matthew 28 says, Therefore, go unto all nations. When the Bible says all, it means more than Sacramento, California, right? And if you can't go, then send. We have this amazing opportunity tonight where we have 15 spots, maybe 16 spots to go to El Salvador. I already know like a few of them already claimed you have this opportunity either to go yourself or to send somebody else. Why? Because we believe that we are impacting nations here. In the past like, couple of weeks, we've had all these prophetic words about this community actually having an impact internationally. I'm going to receive it. <laughs> I think we're doing it actually right now. But every person in this room should be committed to something, investing in something that they believe with every fiber they're being that is changing the world. And in El Salvador, we have this little village on this corner. The word for the village is translated as horseshoe. It's this little horseshoe bay. And um, I really believe that we are changing that village. And you change that village, you change the people. You change the people of that village, you change the community at large. You change that, you change the state. You change the state, you change the country. You change that country. You change all of Central America. If you change all of Central America, you get it? And when you start at one place, this is going to be like our seventh year in El Salvador. Last year, we, we were put in front of all of the, uh, the main leaders and governors and all the powerful people there in, the, um, in our village. And, uh, and like we gave them prophetic words and they were totally freaked out about it. But it was like right on. And one of the words was that, that uh, the new mayor um, is going to be reaching higher places of authority within the state. And I believe even the, the word might have been governor, president, something like that. Anyways, it's so powerful that we are seeding investment into that community because we believe that we're changing the hearts of that community. And that's how you transform a culture is you don't go there like passing new laws and and befriending all the, the legislature. You actually wage the war in the hearts of people. You need to believe that God purposes and promises are for you that you would have an impact outside of this arena. And so if El Salvador, or if just getting out and just doing something is on your heart, then stick after and and meet with us about our trip in March. The next is that all nations will be blessed through you. All nations will be blessed through you. What does that mean for you? It means that your life is meant to bless others. The good things that come of your life are designed actually to bless those around you. 
Let me say that again. The good things that happen in your life actually are purposed for you and the people around you, meaning that your breakthrough becomes someone else's blessing. Your promotion becomes someone else's inspiration. Your victory becomes someone else's blessing. It becomes someone else's path to victory themselves. Perhaps one of the greatest revelations I've had in my life is that God is really honored when the blessings in my life flow and bless other people. You want to have your life radically blessed is start to tie others around you with the blessings that come to you. You're like, God, I got a two-for-one special here. Bless me because it's going to hit two more. You want to live a radical life is you want to have the fruit of your life actually begin to seed and feed other people around you. Are you with me? And so seeking God's blessing does not, it's not meant to be contained and for us to be selfish. It's intended to flow from person to person to person. So then we find a way in our blessing to help it replicate the blessings in your life. God, do you know the word testimony? It actually means do it again. That's so rad. It's not like my story of rags to riches spiritually, you know, like that, which is, like every testimony, it, it feels like it starts with one, like I was a pastor's kid. And the other one, it starts like when I was really, really bad. And usually those two stories actually are, are in the same. But it goes from this like it was really, really bad, really, really dark. And then like it sucked less and I got really good. And now I'm better is how all testimonies. And, and that's kind of a, a lame way to reduce testimonies because it actually, I don't want to send people back again through that. <laughs> What we want to do is we want to contend for what was the breakthrough, what was the transformation, what was the result of God's power in a circumstance. It doesn't need to be about an entire life. And so as we get up here and we say, God did this for us, we, we receive it and say, God, do that again. And so the blessing for us is we look at it and we say, God, do it again. Now, if you want to bless other nations, here's what's crazy is that we are all on a one web page that's connected to like two billion other people. Just think about that. Jesus didn't have a bullhorn. He rode a donkey to get to people. They didn't have mail, email, any of those things. But think like right now, you can pull up your phone and you have access to a billion and a half people. Possibly more. And so there is no reason that we should say, well, I I don't have a way to really bless nations. I don't really, I don't know people in those places. Bull. It's just like one search hashtag. Anybody, anything like that. You can find people all over the earth in seconds. Billy Hodgkins, I love this guy. I don't know if if you're here tonight, Billy, but um, yeah, we can give him a little love. Um, he, uh, He introduced me to a guy. He's like, hey, there's this great opportunity to uh, buy a camera or a projector um, for the Middle East in Pakistan and to show the, the gospel Jesus films. And so um, I was like, sure. And so he and I teamed up and we, we helped this one guy. His name's Sajad. And um, he's one of my Facebook friends now. Uh, but the funny thing is, is that he, he, the way he shows gratitude to me is taking pictures of all the things that are going on and then tagging me in them. And it's really weird. It's like, 17 new photos of you just got uploaded. I'm like, really? (laughs) And in in the Middle East, like, nobody smiles in pictures. You know, everyone's like this, and they're holding like a Bible, and it's like the happiest day of their life, but we would never know it. You know, so I'm like untagging myself. Like, this looks weird. It looks like I'm the the Taliban, you know? It's like, this is sending the wrong message. You know, like the FBI is going to come knocking on my door or something. 
But it's great. Um, and I think we even had like a photo of like, you know, it's one of like a hundred, I think, maybe in, in Pakistan. If we have it, you can throw it up there. But um, if you want to have a friend that is, yeah. So this is one of their, their one of many photos. Um, they're doing amazing things. Um, outreaches with medicine. They're translating Bibles. They're, they're taking people. They're doing awesome things. So, so if you want to actually reach people for Christ, in Pakistan, if you actually want to be part of like saving souls tonight, go home, find him and say, hey, I got 30 bucks for you. And you'll be saving lives. You'll be bringing people to salvation there. India is crazy right now. There are huge, incredible evangelistic conferences, events, things that are going on. I think, yeah, here we go. This is, is something a friend of mine's involved in. It's called Harvest India. And they, they had 700 buses bring people in. They said in the first night, 5,000 people got saved. Do you know how hot that looks right there? <laughs> that looks, and it, it's just going crazy. There's no reason that we in this day and age from right here can't be impacting and bringing lives and souls into the kingdom. The next promise was kings will come forth from you. We're like, well, we have a hierarchy of legislature, senate. We don't have kings. Actually, what this means for us is that you are meant to bring salvation to others. You are meant to bring salvation to others. If you know 1 Peter 2, it says this about who we are once we become chosen in Christ. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We become kings and queens when we come into the kingdom of God. That kings will come forth from you is actually a declaration of this time and age about you having the impact of bringing sons and daughters into the royal kingdom of God. You are thoroughly equipped for that right now. You don't need to have like great speaking abilities. You don't need to have like, to be able to hold a sign, right? I and mean, that's like kind of a cop out. You don't need to do any of that stuff. You don't need to have any like intentional effort. Just live a life that kicks butt and love people fiercely and wildly and they'll be asking you what makes your life different. If you have to be convincing people into the kingdom, I'm guessing you're doing something wrong. Jesus is not like, I have a five point chart to really change your mind. <laughs> he didn't do any of that. And it's so easy for us to make salvation about buying people a bus pass from hell and redirecting it to heaven. Like, let me just get you the ticket and then I'll leave you alone. It's not what it's about at all. A king and queen are meant to rule, amen? If you want to found new nations, make kings and queens of the kingdom because kings and queens are meant to rule. And so every single time you bring someone into the kingdom, a new territory to be ruled is established. The kingdom is advancing. Violent men lay hold of it. Matthew eleven twelve says, if you take the chance and go out and just love people, love people so outrageously, do crazy things for them, leave money on their windows, I don't care, like do crazy things that make them demand an explanation. Why is your life so crazy different? Why is because it says that love overcomes all evil. Eric Johnson, I'm going to steal this quote, he says, 
Christians need to be famous for loving the hell out of people. Isn't that great? I love Christian swearing, you know? I was like, get it? It feels so good. But think about that. Where you bring love, you can soften the hardest of hearts. You'll bring people so much closer to opening their heart because it's a decision about the heart. It's not a decision of the mind. Because we're like, how do you explain the Trinity to someone in the salvation? Like you just, it's, it's not about reason and math and eggs and ice and all those things. It's about the Lord of all creation loves you and desires to be with you, united with you forever. So don't worry about people making a decision for Jesus because I've learned is that we don't have the privilege of seeing people from start to finish in that journey. If you get focused on, well, you know, the success relies upon them making a decision with me. I tell you what, we're living lives with all these different people planting seeds that may come to harvest when we are all away and gone and we never have any idea of what's going on. But you need to trust that when you love people, when you bring the power of the Holy Spirit with you, when you give them demonstrations of God's magnificent, accepting, kind love and welcomes them into the kingdom, it doesn't matter what their decision is because you planted a seed for someone else to cultivate later if they didn't choose. Your decisions now are going to plant a harvest later. Finally, it says this is, I will establish my covenant between me and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. What does this mean for us? It means we are purposed to have a generational legacy. Make no mistake about it. You right now are leaving a legacy. Whatever your decisions and choices are in life right now, you are leaving a legacy. The question is, what is the legacy? You have a decision to make in your life that you can either leave a legacy that opens doors for generations, or you can leave a legacy that shuts doors, establishes generational bondages and curses. How you decide to live life now, even in the adversity you have, you can forge a new direction. It's kind of like... Back to the Future, right? I love adding theology into movies, you know? It's kind of like the pastor thing to do, I guess. But like how they go back in time, they change things, and like it ripples ahead. It's so cool, I love that part, like pictures of faces moving from photos. But what you do now is actually like, the breakthrough you have now is unlocking generational doors that are in ages to come. Even your freedom here tonight could have unlocked a new direction in your life that actually five generations later, someone's going to reap the reward. But you need to believe that God is a generational God. He's like, you are part of the grander promise. You are part of something bigger and greater and generational, and you have the opportunity to leave a legacy that will transform cultures and nations and all other things in that. (laughs) But unless we actually realize it, how can we participate in it? I believe that um, you can leave a legacy of blessing. I don't believe that generations can, um, I don't believe that generations pay for the sins of other generations. However, I believe that patterns and bondages that you create in this lifetime are passed on. You create resistance, friction, hurdles for generations after. But we fail to seek that we're partnering with God in future generations. 
If there's nothing else, if you can't live for yourself in this day and age, like live for the next generation. If you're like, my life stinks on ice, decide that my life matters because future souls depend on it. You're mistaken if you believe that you're living for you. Let me close with this. Have the band come up. It's so important that you know the significance of your life. You're not a bunch of random cells that just is here to consume oxygen and have an okay life and do these different things. Like You are meant to be taken seriously. Your relationship with Jesus is meant to be significant, but we underestimate, we undervalue, we underappreciate the significance of God speaking to us. This is why it's so important that we are connected with God, that we hear his voice and we discern that it's him and we understand the story it plays in the larger promises. Why is that when we understand the significance of the promises, we can understand the significance of our choices. If we understand the significance of our choices, we can understand the significance of our life. And why does that matter? Is that the next generation depends upon it.